are back in the book of Luke, and we uh, just heard a little bit from the end of chapter 6 and the beginning of chapter 7, which we're covering today to help set the context for what we're talking about. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to pull those out um, to Luke, to Luke 6. Um, I didn't bring out the notes. They're sitting in there on the counter, Jim. I don't know if you mind grabbing those real quick, if you want something to take notes on. But to get us started, I'd like to ask you a question. Think about it, if you will. What amazes you? What amazes you? What do you find yourself amazed by? For instance, I myself will never cease to be amazed by people who drive the speed limit in the passing lane. It's, it's amazing. Amazing. I'm amazed by things like technology. Aren't you amazed by technology? I mean, this little thing holds the computing power, more, more computing power than went to the moon on the trips to the moon. It's amazing. What did we do before we had all this technology? How did we live our lives before we had such technology as smartphones? I mean, we had to be really creative with how we wasted our time. It's amazing, right? I mean, we, we had to call people on the phone and wait for them to call us back. You know, we didn't just send them a text and expect an immediate response. We actually had to exert a little bit of patience while we waited for them to call us back on the rotary phone. It's amazing. What did we do before we had all this technology? What did we do before GPS? Like, how did we get anywhere before we had GPS on our phones and telling us where to go all the time? Right? I mean, we, we had to do things like we had to go and we had to print off turn-by-turn -turn directions from MapQuest. Remember that? Yeah. Or before that, we had to rely on these things called maps, and you would fold them out. I remember when I moved out here from Ohio, drove across the country in the summer of 2000. Before we left, my dad took me to the AAA office, and we got maps for all the states between Ohio and there so that I could make my way across the United States with maps. But now we don't need any of that, right? We don't need any help from maps because we've got this nice little lady in our phones that tells us where we need to turn in advance. Your map never did that. Maybe you had a co-pilot that helped you navigate from time to time, but your map never told you, but your co-pilot would tell you, and he'd tell you it's a turn, but that was two people. It took two people to do what we can now do with one smartphone. And your phone doesn't get mad at you if you miss a turn. Your co-pilot probably did. I told you to turn, I told you to turn, you missed that turn. And your GPS is almost never wrong. <clears throat> almost. Sometimes, but almost never wrong. And we just trust it, right? We just kind of have this blind faith that this thing is going to get us where we want to go, where we need to go. One time I was driving the church truck over to pick up the bounce houses for 
um, the block party a couple of years ago, a couple of summers ago, and I was just using GPS and trusting GPS to take me where I needed to go. And it took me where I needed to go, the shortest route possible, but it didn't tell me that where I was going to be going was going to be driving through neighborhoods with a 13 and a half foot tall truck that had old trees hanging over the neighborhood and banging the top of that truck and our freshly put on sign on the side of the truck that said 6-8 church and putting scratches all down the side of it. Thank you, GPS. It's amazing, though. Tells us where we go without even thinking about it. There's other things that it does, like we don't even have to know anything anymore, right? We can just Google it. And we always have Google right here in our pockets. It's amazing. There's no need to remember anything as long as you have a smartphone. I mean, when was the last time someone asked you a question and you didn't Google the answer? We're so smart that we've made a device that doesn't require us to be smart anymore. It's amazing. What amazes you? In all seriousness, there are some real things that amaze me. I'm amazed by ridiculous faithfulness. I'm amazed by people who are faithful for years and years and years and years and years and years and years, whether that's to a spouse or to a church or to friendships, to a job, to their kids or their grandkids. It's it's amazing to me how someone can be faithful, especially in our generation where there are so many reasons and excuses and opportunities to not be faithful. Ridiculous faithfulness really amazes me. I'm also amazed by a radical generosity when people who are radically generous for no reason, they, they give of their lives, not just their money, but of their lives in a radical way It's amazing to me because that's one of the things that I would like, and I would like my life to be characterized by, but it can also be a challenge for me to be radically generous with my life. It's amazing. What amazes you? I I don't know what amazes you. I I don't know what amazes most of us in this room. Maybe there are some things that amaze us. I'm amazed by creation when I get out into creation and I look at the trees and the mountains and the ocean and all of God's great creation. It's amazing to me. There's a lot that amazes me. And actually, throughout Jesus' ministry, one of the themes was that people were amazed by Jesus. And often we talk about how, how we ought to be amazed by Jesus. Are you amazed by Jesus? And, and we should be amazed. And that is a, a very important theme for us to know. But, but today we're looking at an entirely different point of view when it comes to being amazed. Luke chapter 7, verse 1. We just heard it. I want to read through it and highlighting a few things. Because when Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, talking about the sermon that he had given to his disciples after he had just called the disciples where he said, love your enemies, don't judge, take the log out of your eye before you look at the speck in someone else's eye, you know, about building your life on the rock of Jesus' teaching, putting his teaching into practice, and being good trees that produce good fruit because what comes out of you is what makes you good. That's what he's just finished saying. And when he finished saying all of this to his people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion servant whom his master highly valued 
was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. This is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority, with with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, that one to come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. And then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. When Jesus heard this, he, Jesus, was amazed at the centurion. A couple of quick things to point out here, and we're going to get, get moving along. But first, I think there's something we can see about the religion of the Jewish people. The religion of the Jewish people said this, that this man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So because the centurion loved the nation of Israel and built the synagogue in Capernaum, they deemed that he was deserving of Jesus to come and talk to him. So this man deserved because of what he's done. Do these things and you're worthy. Do these things and you deserve recognition and reward. That's how the Israelites thought about their relationship with God. Do this and you're worthy. But why is this such an astounding statement? Well, I think it's astounding to me because there are only two places in Jesus' ministry in his life where this word amazed is used when it talks about Jesus being amazed. Other people are amazed all the time at Jesus, but Jesus is only amazed twice in his ministry that we have on record anyway. The first one is here, or the, 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 they're actually really close together when you study them. Um, the first one's probably not this one, but the one I'll reference in a minute. This is probably the second one. But it says, Jesus was amazed at the centurion's faith. But in Mark chapter 6, and I think we have it for you to read on the screen, verse 4, Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. So there are two things that amaze Jesus. There are two things that make Jesus marvel. The first one is that those who have every reason to believe but don't, That would be the Israelites. That would be the chosen people. They had every reason to believe in Jesus, but didn't. That amazed Jesus. And what also amazes Jesus is those who have no reason to believe, but do. 
And that's the centurion. Those who have every reason to believe but don't, and those who have no reason to believe but do. It's amazing. Jesus was amazed by the faith of the centurion. The king of all creation, the the very one who made this man, was amazed by this man's faith. And what's so amazing about this story? What's so amazing about the centurion's faith? Well, there's a few things here. First, it starts at the very beginning of the story that the centurion highly valued his servant. The The centurion highly valued his servant. This was not a requirement in this time. He did not have to highly value his servant. He could have chosen to just let his servant die and go get a new servant. This was his right to do that if he chose, but he highly valued the servant. He highly valued someone he didn't have to value according to culture. He built a synagogue in Capernaum. This was a pagan. This was a Gentile. This was not a Jewish man. This was a centurion who was, who was put there by Rome, and they were occupying, they weren't yet occupying it probably, but they were controlling and governing over this area, and he was put there to make sure that that order was maintained. So he wasn't a Jewish man, and yet he built the synagogue in Capernaum. So he was a very generous and committed man. He was committed to the truth. He, he probably wanted to know the truth that they taught. And somehow through all of that teaching that the Pharisees had taught and not heard the truth themselves, he himself was able to hear the truth about the one that was to come. And look at this, where there should have been enmity and strife between the centurion and between the people of God... There wasn't. The centurion's servant was sick and not himself. Think about that. Like I said, he could have left his servant to die and just gotten a new servant. He he himself wasn't sick, and he sent for Jesus to heal his servant not himself. He was seeking Jesus to work on behalf of his servant, not himself. So he was a compassionate and loving man. In fact, the centurion didn't even see himself as worthy to have Jesus in his house. He, he probably most certainly knew the teaching and that as a Gentile, Jesus would be unclean for coming in to the man's house. So there was probably some of that teaching that was in his mind and his thinking. But he says, I don't, I don't see myself as worthy. And here's the contrast we're going to see, that, that he didn't see himself as worthy, but the Israelites deemed him worthy because of what he had done. He didn't see himself as worthy. He was humble. He wasn't full of himself. He was humble. And you contrast that with the Pharisees who are always seeking positions of honor and being recognized for their achievements 
and the law, but he didn't see himself as worthy. And the centurion recognized Jesus' authority. He recognized that Jesus had authority, that he was sent with authority, and he had authority over certain things. And he said, I, I'm under authority, and, and I can tell people to do things so that I understand what, what you are doing here, Jesus. I say, go, and he goes. I say, do this, and he does that. And he recognized that Jesus has authority, and the Jewish people didn't really even do that. The centurion had authority, and yet he wasn't using his authority for his own advantage. These are some of the things that, that are probably amazing to Jesus about the centurion's faith. There's more to it than this. We're going to get into it. But I don't know about you, but do you want to be the kind of person whose faith amazes Jesus? Do you want to be the kind of person whose faith amazes Jesus? That, that, if, that if someone were to come to Jesus on your behalf and share your story, that, that your story like this would amaze Jesus? I do. I want to be the kind of person whose faith amazes Jesus. See, I don't want to be among the ranks of those who, who had every reason to believe but didn't. I want to be among the ranks of those who have no reason to believe but do. I don't want to be an, like those in the entire nation who, who did not have faith in Jesus and did not believe who he was. I want to be among those who have faith, the kind of faith that Jesus would be amazed at. It's the kind that doesn't need Jesus to meet our expectations of him, but believes he can do anything in his own way. This man, this man didn't, didn't need to bring his servant out to see Jesus. He just believed Jesus could heal. So, so he had faith that Jesus didn't even need to touch him or pray for him or spit on him or, or put mud on him or any of that stuff. He, he just believed he could heal. Just say the word and he will be healed. That's the kind of faith that amazes Jesus. Just, just say the word. Jesus, just, just say the word. You can. I believe you can. This man didn't need even to see Jesus in person to believe in Jesus. That should say something to us. He didn't need to see Jesus to believe in Jesus. Do, do we believe in Jesus without having seen Jesus? Can we, can we believe in Jesus by faith? And in contrast, Jesus didn't need to see this man to see his faith. That's the kind of faith that amazes Jesus. So which are we? Which, which category are we in as a church, uh, as followers of Jesus Christ this morning? Are we those who have every reason to believe but don't, or are we those who have no reasons to believe but do? So do we have so many reasons to believe but, but live our lives as though we don't believe? Do we, have, do we just have a mountain of reasons to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the one who came to die for our sins so that we could have a relationship with the Father? Do we really believe that? Because we have the reasons to believe, don't we? I mean, in our day and age where we live right now, we have a mountain of reasons to believe. We have the freedom to believe without fear of persecution. Our belief in Jesus isn't going to lead us to death in this country. 
We have reasons to believe. We, we have God's Word at our fingertips. One of the great things about technology is we have God's Word right here, and we can read God's Word at any given moment. We have reasons to believe. We have access without restriction to an amazing Christian community. We have access to the literal body of Christ gathered together in physical form, tangible form. Jesus is gathered here every single morning. We have access to this Christian community. We have so many reasons to believe. So we have, just like we just experienced and we experience every single, Monday, every, every single Sunday morning, we, we have the opportunity to worship freely. And not even just worship freely, but we get the benefit of style preference. We have lots of reasons to believe. We, we have an overabundance of biblical teaching. We can, we can go find teaching on the Bible that we could never possibly consume. So much of it out there. We, we have so many reasons to believe. Are we living our lives like we don't? See, we have so many reasons to believe. Would Jesus be amazed at our faith, or would he be amazed at how many reasons we have to believe, and yet we don't believe? How many reasons do we need? Reminds me of the story of Lee Strobel, our kids and our family just uh, watched the, the movie of his life, his testimony. The Case for Christ. I don't know if you've seen it, but I highly recommend it. In this story, he, he was a skeptic. He did not believe, and his wife found Christ through a church in Chicago, and she was slowly trying to work him into the church and would invite him to church, and he would come to church, but he would be a skeptic. You know, he wouldn't believe, and so, so he started on a journey to prove that the resurrection was fake. He wanted to disprove his wife's belief, and what he did was he went and he started doing all the research to look at all the evidence about the resurrection, and what happened was instead of being able to prove that the resurrection was fake, every trail he went down, he discovered that it was a true, actual event in history. And at one point in the movie, it gets to a point where he's got so many reasons up on this board in this wall to believe. And he's still not believing. How much clearer does God need to make it for you before you believe? See, one of the things that we're doing in this sermon series in Luke is not just investigating Jesus and learning about Jesus, but I want to make sure that we know Jesus. Do you, do you know Jesus, not just the idea of Jesus, not, not just the mental image of Jesus, not the historical figure of Jesus, but do you know Jesus the same way the centurion seemed to know him, that he didn't even need to see him to have faith in him? Do we, do we know Jesus that way, or do we just kind of believe some stuff about Jesus? See, I want to be the kind of person that has faith in Jesus, even if there are no reasons. 
If there, if there are no reasons to just, to just believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he is the Messiah, he is my Savior, he is my Lord, he is the one who rescues me from my sin and the slavery of my own sin and my own flesh, he rescues me from that, and he died on the cross to save me from that, to set me free, paying the ransom for that, and he rose from the dead so that he could permanently set me free and give me this new life, revive, literally resurrect my spirit to a new and living world way that I could not possibly do on my own. I, I, I want to be the kind of person that believes that without reasons for belief. And I want us to be the kind of people, even though we have a very reasonable faith and it's a very logical faith, you can prove and you can defend everything, do we just believe? Well, what is belief? Belief is belief. Is that clear? Believing is believing. I wrestled with this for years because this is all that's been given to us. Just believe. We're supposed to believe. And if this is what we're supposed to do, well, then I need to know what it is. I need to intellectually understand what belief is. Not even realizing that all along, we all live our lives by beliefs. We believe in a lot of things, we just don't always acknowledge them as belief. We believe Siri will get us where we want to go. We believe Google knows everything. We believe that if I exhale, I will take in another breath following without even thinking. We believe, for the most part, for most of our lives, when we go to sleep at night, we'll wake up in the morning. We believe that when the sun goes down at night, it will come up in the morning. We, we believe in things all the time. We, we order our lives around things we believe all of the time. But when it comes to Jesus, for some reason, we say, okay, well, I need some reasons. I need, I need you to really lay it out. And if you need reasons, I've got reasons. If you need explanation, I've got explanation. The Bible is full of reasons and explanation. But, but what if it doesn't start with reasons and intellectual assent? What if it just starts with faith and believing that Jesus is who he said he was? I mean, we know what belief is, right? I mean, we believe in things all the time. Why all of a sudden when it comes to Jesus does it get confusing? Well, I think it's because we have an enemy who wants to keep us from belief. We have, we have an enemy who wants us to constantly doubt Jesus at every turn. Even though we've been given 10 million reasons for belief, one in ten million reason will come along and it doesn't make sense to us in the moment and we say, ah, oh, there it is. I knew he wasn't real. Do we believe? See, I want to be the kind of person that just has faith in Jesus even if there are no reasons. If we're being honest with ourselves this morning, I don't think most of us in this room need more reasons. 
I think we could have a hundred more reasons and we'd need a hundred more. We could have a thousand and need ten thousand. We don't really need more reasons. What we need is just more belief, more faith. I just believe that Jesus is who He says He is. And a belief that doesn't just intellectually understand that, but then because I believe that Jesus is who He says He is, I will now live my life how Jesus said to live my life. That I will believe that He, what He says about who I am is who I actually am. That, that I'm not just some you know, scum that He doesn't care for, but when He says I am His child, He actually means that I am His child. So I'm going to believe that. I'm not going to question that. I'm not going to doubt. I'm just going to believe it and receive it because that's what's been given to me. And I'm going to live my life in response to what He says I am. I want to be the kind of first person who has faith in Jesus, even if there are no reasons. Well, what did this man's faith lead him to do? Think about that. Belief leads us to action. Belief leads us to live differently. If we believe something, we live our lives differently. So belief leads us to do something different. Well, what did this man's belief lead him to do? He apparently was already a loving man. He was already a compassionate man. He was already a generous man. He already had a position of authority, and he had people under his command. What did his belief lead him to do? He sent for Jesus. His belief led him to send for Jesus. His belief led him, hey, I, I need Jesus. Okay, my, my, my servant is sick, and I love him dearly. I, 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 need, I, I cannot fix him. There's something wrong with him. Who can fix this? I need Jesus, right? I, somebody go get Jesus. So he sent for Jesus. He had already lived a life that paved the way for him to be able to have a relationship with all these people so that he had someone to send to Jesus. But when it came down to the crucial moment, he sent for Jesus. His motive wasn't for himself. His motive was for his servant. So he sent for Jesus. His motive wasn't to make much of himself and to, and to tout his own authority, but it was looking for Jesus. Where's Jesus? How did he send for Jesus? This should astound us. Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, love your enemies. You love the people who love you, good for you. Everyone does that. Love your enemies. How did he send for Jesus? He sent for Jesus through people who should have been his enemies. They should have been enemies. They should have been at enmity with one another. They should have been at odds with one another. And yet, he had lived a kind of life where he was already in a relationship with them. He loved them in such a way that when he needed their help, he could just send for Jesus through them. See, this man was exhibiting, I think, and this is the significance of this story coming right after Luke chapter 6 and Jesus teaching about what it means to be his disciple. This story of the centurion illustrates what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be someone who follows Jesus. This is what it looks like. This is the example that you can see. It wasn't the example of the Israelites. It wasn't the example of God's chosen people. It was a centurion a pagan, a Gentile. 
You see, this man, his belief was not restricted to an ideology. It was not restricted to reasons. His belief moved him to action. It's the kind of action that Jesus had just described that he expected of his followers. This man's belief moved him to action to have such a radical love that loves even our enemies. To recognize that our authority comes from being under authority, so who are we to judge? Belief that that we can have regenerated hearts that produce good from within, like we've been talking about for so long, being good trees that produce good fruits, that God can regenerate our hearts so that from us comes good things. And that to live our lives built on the foundation of Jesus' teaching is not just knowing what He said to do, but doing it. This was the faith that amazed Jesus. Would Jesus be amazed by our faith? Would Jesus be amazed by your faith this morning? I'm not going to presume that all of us in here know Jesus. And just as my goal has been all along, I don't want to just teach you about Jesus. I want to invite you to know Him personally. It sounds crazy. I know it sounds. If you're, if you're, if you're not a believer yet, it's, it really just sounds absurd. What do you mean I can know Jesus? He died, and, and if the story is true, he ascended and went to heaven. How can I possibly know Jesus? Well, the rest of the story is, is pretty radical, and it's, it's really illuminating. So let me share with you just, just a little bit of the story so that you can understand. Because Jesus did die, and he did rise from the dead. You can prove that because there are over 500 witnesses that saw him rise from the dead. So if you need the facts, the facts are there. But Jesus did die, and he did rise from the dead. And he was seen by people in his living state. And then he, his disciples were all gathered around, and they saw him ascend. They saw him levitate up into heaven and just kind of go back up to where he had come from and sit at the right hand of the Father where he belonged. And so they saw him, and, and he said to wait here, just wait here for, till I say, till I send my advocate, my helper, the one that's going to help you live this kind of life, the one that's going to empower you, the empowering one that's going to come and help you live this kind of life. Just, just wait here, just wait until I send him. It'll be clear when I send him. And so they waited, and they waited, and they prayed, and they waited, and they prayed, and they waited for something like 40 or 50 days until the thing that we call Pentecost, and then on Pentecost, Jesus sent the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the actual presence of Christ, and the presence of Christ came and dwelled in all who believed, and, and people who were gathered around were amazed at these men who, they're just common, ordinary men, and yet they're all speaking my language. I don't understand how this could be because they don't really know anything. How could they possibly know anything? Because they're just average, ordinary people like me, and yet they're speaking in my tongue. And so people were amazed, and that day people believed. So gathered here in this room is what we call the body of Christ. To any common, ordinary person, it would just look like a bunch of people gathered around listening to somebody talk for far too long. And but what we know to be true is that this is no ordinary thing. 
This is the body of Jesus Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. This is the physical, tangible presence of Jesus Christ on this earth. And so, so if you think, well, how can I possibly know? How can I possibly know this Jesus who died and, and ascended and he's sitting at the right hand? How can I know? Well, well you're sitting in him. <laughs> you're surrounded by Jesus. That sounds insane. I know. How can I? Well, the only way to really know is to actually taste and see that the Lord is good. And we want to invite you to do that this morning. I don't want anyone in this room, I don't want anyone who ever hears me teach to just know about Jesus. That, that drove me for a long time. I, I, and I fully believe our faith is a very reasonable faith. We have defense upon defense upon defense for our faith, for what we believe. It's not a blind faith as the, the foundation of the entire universe. But I don't want anyone to just know about Jesus. We, we need to know him personally. And if you only know about him but don't know him personally, you won't really ever experience the power of the resurrected Christ in your life, helping you, empowering you, and pushing you to live this kind of life where you do justice and you love mercy and you walk humbly, where you're compassionate, where you love your enemies, where you're not judgmental, where, where your life is so good from the inside that it spills out God on the outside, where your life is built on the rock of Jesus Christ and his teaching, not just knowing, but doing and living, because once we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, it changes everything. So I'm going to ask if you will stand this morning. The worship team is going to come. As you're standing, Just ask if you will, bow your heads, close your eyes. I want to pray for a few groups of people this morning. And all I ask in these next few moments is that you listen to that voice inside you. Don't listen to me, but let God speak to you. If you don't know what that is, then just listen for that little thing that's kind of compelling you and drawing you and pulling you into something that doesn't make sense. But if you're here this morning and you would say, I want to know Jesus. I don't want to just know about Jesus, but I want to know Jesus. I want to know him personally. I want to know him as my Lord and Savior. I want to not only receive his forgiveness for my sins, but I want to walk through him into relationship with the everlasting, eternal Father who created me for worshiping and glorifying him. If you want to know him, not just know about him, if you if you're sick of just kind of knowing ideas about Jesus, but you really want to just know him as the person that he came for us to know, and I'm going to ask in just a minute for you to raise your hand. 
If you would say, it's time for me to stop running, it's away from him and just to run towards him too. I don't, I don't know that I have all the reasons, but I don't know that I need all the reasons. I'm just going to believe, and I'm going to believe that once I know him, I will have him, and he will lead me into the understanding. So if you're here this morning and you've never believed in Jesus and you want to believe in Jesus, put your belief in him. Receive him as your personal Savior so that he can lead you and guide you from this point forward into his resurrection life. Just raise your hand. Yeah. I see several hands have gone up. You can put your hands down. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for you reaching out and calling and drawing people this morning. I thank you that, that you have spoken to our hearts. I thank you that you are real and that you exist, that there is nothing for me to even doubt, but that I have more than enough reasons to believe. Father, for those who raise their hands, I pray, Father, right now in this moment that they would recognize who they were just a moment ago, that, that just a moment ago they were people living in their own sin, people who were, who were driven by their own desires, and that they were rebelling against you by pursuing their own desires for their life. I pray, Father, right now in this moment that they would understand what it means to believe, to believe in the one that you sent, to believe in the one that came for us, to believe in the one that died for us, to believe in the one that rose for us, to believe in such a way that I'm going to reorient my entire life around him and to my from this day forward, commit my life, commit my every moment, commit my every desire to his desires for me, his desires for me to follow him wherever he leads me, wherever he wants me to go, wherever he takes me, I will follow. I am his and he is mine. Thank you for that. If you're here this morning, and you say, at this point in time, I don't know if Jesus would be amazed by my faith. I don't know if Jesus would be more amazed by my faith or more amazed by my unbelief. And you would say, I want that to change this morning. I, I don't want my life to be characterized by how little I believe but that my life would be characterized by how ridiculously I believe. If that's you this morning, just ask you to raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Yeah. You can put your hands down. Heavenly Father, I pray, myself included, that our lives would be characterized by a ridiculous faith a radical faith. A faith that even though it has its reasons, doesn't need the reasons to believe. Father, let our lives be characterized by that kind of faith. I pray, Father, for all the things that, that we do to try to muster up faith in our own spirit and in our own strength. I pray right now for all of us that, that you would bring those to light, bring those to mind. 
that we would see how we've been trying to manufacture something that you want to give us as a gift. And Father, I pray right now in this moment that you would help us to be able to receive this free gift that you want to give us, this gift of faith, the supernatural gift of faith that, that cannot be explained, but that can only be received. And I pray, Father, that you would help us not only to receive it, but to live it that we wouldn't just receive it for an instant, for a moment on a Sunday morning when we're gathered together and it feels good because we're surrounded by other people who believe, but that we would receive it in such a way that it compels us to live our lives from this point forward in such a way that we just believe. That when it doesn't make sense, I just believe. When I can't see the end, I just believe. When I don't know how things are going to work out, I, I just believe. When I can't make sense of all of the things that are happening, I just believe. When I can't understand the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning and the middle from it all, I just believe that God is in it and He is working all things for the good for those who love Him and who are called according to His purpose. That, Father, I pray that You would help us to just believe, to take away the glasses of doubt and questioning and disillusion and just read your word and experience your community and just believe. And I, thought, I, I pray, Father, that, that that would be something that compels our entire body forward from this moment. That, that you would move us Move us forward and move us out of here by your spirits, empowered by the resurrected spirit of Jesus Christ to go and live lives based on belief. And that there would be people in our lives that, that we love radically whom we shouldn't love because they ought to be our enemies, but we love them in a way because you have given us, you have changed us, you have rearranged us. Help us, Father, to be that kind of person that loves our enemies, that, that, that we understand that the authority you have given to us is from you, and so we have no reason to judge, we have no reason to be critical, we have no reason to point out the flaws in others, but because you have given it to us, that is how we want to be, that we would, that we would seek for you to change us internally, and that we would be driven by the fact that you have changed us inside, and that you are moving us internally to live externally for you, and that the entire foundation of our lives would be built on your truth, the truth of Jesus Christ, the person of truth, the person of grace, fully grace, fully truth, and our lives would be built on that rock as our foundation, and not only an intellectual idea that we believe in our minds, but that we actually put it into practice with our lives, and we move forward as a body from this point forward, the kind of people whose lives are legitimately built on the foundation of the rock of Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. 